Well, good morning. And uh, welcome if, uh, if you're visiting with us or if you're watching online. Thank you for joining us. Uh, communion is today. We haven't had communion in a long time. Um, and I'm really looking forward to, to sharing communion with you. If you didn't receive um, one of these when you came in or didn't get one kind of after you sat down, just raise your hand and one of our deacons would, would love to serve you. It's a little different um, with COVID. We, we've got these little um, packets. I know that's a good word. I was going to say something else because I know when some of you got these or when you saw them, you got excited because they look similar to shot glasses. Um, but no, you're in church, man. Come on. Get it together. Um, Anyhow, we're going we're gonna to have communion this morning. I'm super excited about the last. I use these sometimes when, uh, when I visit people in the hospital. And uh, the last time um, I used one of these, it's just kind of sweet, just how you kind of remember things, right? The last time I used one of these to, to share communion with someone was when um, my friend and, and some of y'all's friend, uh, Carol Ann, uh, was battling cancer. And she has since um, passed away and gone with the Lord. But... Um, we had a really sweet time down in New Haven uh, having communion and, and, and laughing about these kind of weird little packets. Um, but it is an opportunity for us uh, to share uh, the gift of the Lord's Supper together. So I'm excited about doing this here this morning. But we, uh, right now is the time to look at God's Word. So two weeks ago, we started this sermon series called Joyful, and, and it is a look at uh, the book of Philippians, uh, one of my uh, favorite books uh, in the New Testament. I just love it. It's, it's full of joy, and, and really, uh, the book of Philippians is full of the gospel. Nine times in four chapters, uh, the Apostle Paul uses the phrase, uh, the gospel for the gospel. Uh, so it is a, a uh, Christ-centered, I mean the whole Bible is, but a Christ-centered, gospel-charged book of the Bible, and it packs a really sweet punch. So if you have your Bible this morning, uh, or your phone, version app, whatever you use, I'd love for you to go to uh, Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 18. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, I'd love to give one to you. Uh, I do encourage you to, to bring your Bible, underline it, uh, highlight in it. That's not sacrilegious. That's a good thing. It means you're ingesting God's word and it will radically change your life. So, uh, but if you don't have those with you, that's cool too. We'll have the scripture up on the screen here behind me. But here's where we're going this morning. Here's kind of the big idea. Every life circumstance is an opportunity to joyfully advance the gospel. Let me say that again, and then I'll, I'll, I'll kind of put it in, in uh, you know, lay people's terms or my terms, because, you know, I'm a little slower sometimes too. But every life circumstance is an opportunity to joyfully advance the gospel. So let me just unpack it just for a second. Regardless of the situations and circumstances in your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a responsibility, you have the duty to joyfully share what you have with others. So if you've been saved, if Jesus Christ has changed your life, and I'm looking at some of you and I know he has, 
then whether you're young or old, junior high or high school, or whether you're in a nursing home, I don't really care where you are, you have the opportunity and all the respons- also the responsibility to joyfully, joyfully share the gift that you have been given. So let's look at this passage. This is Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. What happened to Paul? He's in prison, remember? What has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. That's the Roman soldiers. And to everyone else, that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment. And I dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure. Now here's where it gets a little crazy. And I'm going to unpack this for us. These next few verses. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy. And rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others, the ones that are full of envy and rivalry, the others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. But then look at what Paul says here. He is obviously a mature believer. It's the Apostle Paul. But he also takes the high road. What does it matter, he said? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Let me pray over God's word. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. And thank you that you change lives. I pray, God, that you will do an incredible work in each of our hearts and our minds this morning. God, do what only you can do. Change us from the inside out. God, I pray that for those of us, like myself, that struggle with our own personal preferences, God, I pray that you'll humble us. And you'll show us, God, that we need you more than anything in our lives, anything else in our lives. God, so often we're so guilty of chasing our own wants and desires that sometimes we run over people. We harm relationships and we harm ourselves. So Jesus, I pray that you will help us to be a little bit more like Paul. Mature. Seeking Christ. Seeking to advance the gospel. And I thank you, God, too, Uh, much to my wife's chagrin, that it's getting a little cooler out, and I can wear one of my 14 vests again. So thank you, Jesus. Amen. (laughs) I did. I woke up this morning, and I was cold, right? And and I I went downstairs, you know, and it's still dark. I get up really early on Sunday mornings, and... uh, I opened up the door and I went, dang. And then I was like, but I could wear a vest. 
It keeps the core warm, but you can still breathe. I love it. This is good. All right, who cares about that? But Well, as I, as I mentioned two weeks ago, and, uh, and Tyler mentioned this last week too when, when he preached, but Paul was in prison. He's in prison. We, we, we have to keep that in mind when reading this letter. He's in prison when he wrote to the Philippian church. But even as you read this letter, and we even saw it here uh, in verse 18, he's full of joy. And he actually says, even though these people that are preaching the gospel with false motives, even though they're doing that, I continue to rejoice. And I'll talk more about that in a few minutes. See, joy... Joy is different than happiness, and you've, maybe if you've been around here a little bit, you've heard me speak to this before, but, but joy is, is deep down. Joy is deep down in your heart and, and deep down in your soul. It's very different than happiness. Happiness comes and goes, but, but joy can really be a station and a place of life for you, regardless of which way the wind blows in your life. See, joy doesn't always look like we expect it to look like. You know, if you're anything like me, I would look at a situation in prison when people were gossiping about me and slandering me, and I would go, that's not very joyful. I don't know how much I'd be praising God about that. But then you come to this and you go, huh, I guess godly joy doesn't look like we expect it to look. You know, as a matter of fact, joy doesn't always come in the most ideal circumstances. This deep down joy that we're longing for actually comes often in times when we're experiencing hardship and struggle. Because it's in those times that we're actually depending on and we're focusing on Jesus. See, while in prison and suffering for the glory and the sake of the gospel... The Apostle Paul is experiencing joy. Well, how? One word. Back to Sunday school. Jesus. That's it. See, the key to experiencing joy in life is simple. Stay focused on Jesus. If you want a joy-filled life, it's Jesus. You're not going to find it in wealth. You're not going to find it in your toys. You're not going to find it in your house. You're not even going to, at times, find it in your marriage or a friendship. I'm so grateful that Jenny and I have been going through a really really sweet season in our marriage. But yo, we've had some times, not a whole lot of joy. I'm just being honest. And any of you that have been married for longer than two weeks, you know what I'm talking about. You wake up. You roll over and you go, how did this happen? (laughs) Just kidding. See, the Apostle Paul was so close to Jesus. He is so desperately close to Jesus that he wanted others to desperately receive what he had. So his passion for sharing the gospel, his passion for Jesus outweighed every challenging and difficult circumstance in his life. Whether he was in prison or whether he was being slandered, it was all about Jesus. 
You see, that was Paul. And my hope is that as I mature in Christ, and, and the reality is, I hope you know this, but, but maturity doesn't always come with age. We can, get, we can get older and we can actually grow more and more immature because sadly, sometimes the more knowledge and the more understanding and even sometimes even the more leadership we get, the more immature we can become. But maturity actually comes when we're pressing into Jesus. And we find and we realize that in order to be more like Christ, we actually have to spend time with Christ. That's how we become more and more mature. And that was Paul. And I hope in time that will be me. And I pray that that will be you as well. And actually for the sake of you, I pray that you'll get there quicker than I will. And I'm not ashamed to pray that. Because like Paul, I want what's best for you. And what's best for you is Jesus. It's Jesus. That will make him famous and that's my prayer for all of us that Jesus will mean more to us than anything else in our lives and if if we live that way if Jesus is preeminent if everything is about Jesus then we will like Paul joyfully advance the gospel you see regardless of the circumstances of our lives we have an opportunity we have an opportunity there's a responsibility but let me just say this there's an opportunity to joyfully make much of Jesus in your life. And as you take advantage of that opportunity, as you share the gospel, as you see people's lives being changed by Jesus, more and more joy will come in your life. I haven't met too many Christians in my life that are actively making much of Jesus, joyfully advancing the gospel, and are cynical and full of pride. It's just They just don't go together. But the more we're communicating about Jesus, the more we're promoting him, the lesser we become. And that's the best place to be as a Christian. See, if Jesus did what we say and believe he did, change the world, change our lives, our personal lives, then we will want others to experience what we too have experienced, right? See, this side of heaven, life isn't perfect. We, incre- we experience incredible highs and horrible lows. But through it all, we have Jesus. And he's the giver of joy. We, we get a glimpse of it, right? I mean, when Jesus came, he, he said that the kingdom has come. It's upon us, but we're still living in a broken world. But because of him and because he inaugurated the kingdom, he brought forth part of the kingdom. His kingdom will come and take over everything in due time. But but we're experiencing part of it right now. We're enabled to experience part of this joy right now. But when he returns or when we meet him in glory, that joy will be complete and full. Fancy word, biblical word, would be consummated. See, living with that perspective changes everything, and it did for Paul, and it can for us as well. Now, look again with me at verse 12. He said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Now, I said this when I was reading it, but Paul wanted the Philippians to know that his imprisonment was not a mistake. It wasn't a mistake that he was suffering in this Roman jail. It was an opportunity. He saw it as an opportunity to spread the name and fame of Jesus. 
So while maybe these other prisoners that are sitting around with him are singing swing low, swing chariot, Paul is going, thank you, Jesus. I'm here for a reason. I'm suffering for a reason. As horrible as this is, the lashes to my back, getting spit on, getting mocked, it is for you, Jesus. And I'm not going to shut up about you. See, while he sat in this Roman prison, he chose not to wallow in his suffering or waste his life. And I'm afraid that so many of us in this room and even watching online are spending far too much time wasting our lives. Well, how do we waste our lives? On triviality. On our own wants and desires and our own perceived needs, but not enough on Jesus. Listen, I'm guilty of that too. I'm preaching to myself here. See, Paul believed that God had a plan and a purpose behind every circumstance in his life. I mean, we not only see that here, but we see it in Romans 8.28, a verse that a lot of you love. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So his immediate circumstances as a prisoner were not awesome. They were pretty horrible. He didn't know what would happen to him. But he believed that God is sovereign and that he often advances, as I said a little bit ago, he often advances the gospel through hardship and struggle. See, your current circumstances right now, wearing a stupid mask, going about like a bank robber, like our, our current circumstances are less than ideal, aren't they? You're, like right now, you might hate your job. You might loathe school. Looking at my daughters right now. You might, you might be in pain lying in bed, like in a surgical bed. Like, like I was just a few weeks ago. I mean, it was less than ideal, believe me. I still can't even pick this up. I have to have Garrett do it for me. But see, there are no accidents. There's a purpose for where you are. There is meaning behind everything that you're experiencing. But so often, we're wasting it. Wallowing or wondering how it will get better. Maybe it won't. But guess what? You still have Jesus. And that's all you need. See, there's a reason even, too, for every person that's gathered around you. You have an opportunity to use your circumstances, regardless of how good or bad, to share the gospel. Because maybe the person standing next to you is going through exactly what you're going through. Or maybe... They're, they went through what you're experiencing now, and they'll actually build you up in the faith. See, we can't forget, Paul's in prison. His circumstances were far worse than ours, but listen again to what he wrote. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else... 
that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. So while he sat in prison, Paul is empowered by God, resting and relying on the Holy Spirit to communicate the gospel. And he notes, he's very clear here, that it is advanced throughout the whole imperial, imperial guard. Now, historically we know, historically speaking, we know that there were roughly 9,000 Romans involved in the imperial guard. Now, obviously, Paul didn't have a relationship with every single one of them. But, what happened? A little thing called word of mouth. So every time an imperial card came in to feed Paul his one piece of bread and small glass of water, he was sharing the gospel with that person. The next person would come in and maybe beat the tar out of him, and he's sharing the gospel with him. And the more and more this is going on, the more and more they're thinking, maybe this guy isn't as crazy and off his rocker as we thought. And they start talking about, huh, maybe what he's saying actually changes lives. Uh, I feel like God might be working in my life right now, so-and-so. Yeah, he's doing it in me too. That's how the gospel spreads. Not just through me. Through you. It's the priesthood of all believers. My call, my primary call as a pastor is this. is to study and to preach the gospel. And then by God's grace, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and implore you to study God's word and to advance the gospel. Not to hold your hand, but to encourage you and at times exhort you Stop being lazy. This is life or death here. It is. But again, we don't look at it that way. Because we're too busy navel-gazing. Too busy focused on ourselves. Listen, I know these are hard words. But over the years, I've heard them from other preachers too. Not just myself, but on you. So here Paul is spreading the gospel by word of mouth. And it says that he said it, it spread throughout the whole guard and then it even impacted everyone else. So, so it, is just, it is just multiplying. It is going from this prison cell outward. It is going from this guy just sitting in a cell worshiping Jesus, advancing the gospel outward. So despite his adverse circumstances, Paul continues to follow Jesus, continues to make much of Jesus as well. Now we need to, we need to pause here just for a minute. But all too often when we suffer, when we struggle, when we face hardship, we think God is absent. We think somehow he has abandoned us. Like somehow he's turned his back on us. We live in a sinful and broken world. Bad things are going to happen. People will harm us. Jesus has never turned his back on us. No, not once. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you or abandon you. He is always with us through everything we face. See, Jesus meant everything to Paul and how drastically different our lives would look if that were the case for us. 
Look at verse 14 with me. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word. That's the gospel, the good news, fearlessly. So what's happened here is other people are noticing Paul's faithful witness. He's in prison. He's in prison. I know I've said this like six times. He is in prison. And people are seeing how faithful he is even in the midst of this troubling time. And it motivated them to greater sacrifice and faithfulness. Don't gloss over this. The Christians that heard of Paul's prison story gained confidence and spoke about Jesus fearlessly. This is a whole other sermon. Let me just say this. What are we so afraid of? (laughs) What are we so afraid of? If Jesus is truly the most important thing to you in your life, then speak about him. My daughters are amazing. They're drastically different. My older daughter's, you know, a little more athletic, loves soccer. You've heard me praise her about this. I love her about it. And then Ellie, our youngest, is sweeter, has a heart of gold. I shouldn't have said sweeter. They're both sweet. I love you. She's sweet in her own way. She knows what I mean, thankfully, of a good relationship. (laughs) But Ellie's much more, like, carefree, and I want to pick flowers, and and dance around, and and they're, they're so different. We love them the same. Forget where I was going with this. Yeah, I don't know. They love Jesus. That's cool. I forgot where I was going. This is what happens when I get off of... Yeah, that's okay. I'll just keep going. It was a side point anyway. But they heard, right? These people heard about Paul's preaching the gospel and his bravery and how it went out throughout the Imperial Guard. And they were encouraged. These people were challenged to preach. Paul said the brothers, as he called them, I'm sure there were sisters as well, but their brothers were steadfast. They were unwavering in the faith. They saw that despite his awful circumstances, he was still filled with joy, love, and a desire to know Jesus Christ above all else. And like Paul, they pursued Jesus. So Paul's suffering, but faithfulness actually encouraged these other brothers and sisters who maybe weren't, well, weren't going through the same circumstances that he was. See, courage and confidence and fearlessness come from faithfully following Jesus in the highs and lows of life. We love those stories, don't we? We love the stories like Rudy and Rocky. The people that rise up. That was the Apostle Paul. 
He rose up for something bigger than a football game. And I love football. He rose up bigger than something than a boxing match against some dreaded Soviet. (laughs) He rose up against the principalities and the powers of this world to advance the gospel for the glory of Jesus Christ. See, as we follow Him, He will empower us to stand firm in the faith and to communicate the gospel to those in our lives that desperately, desperately need freedom. Now look at verse 15 here. While some Christians heard of Paul's faithfulness and were inspired. Did you notice verse 15? Others were not. It's a, he said, to be sure... Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. See, what happened here was not every Christian shared the right motives when proclaiming Jesus. Let me say that again. Not every Christian. I didn't say non-Christian. Not every Christian shared the right motives when proclaiming Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly who Paul is referring to here. It's not mentioned. Regardless, something other than the gospel drove their intentions. Now, you've got to stay with me here. This group of people, was, they were envious of Paul. That is, they had a jealous attitude towards Paul. Not only that, but they were consumed by rivalry. Now, we think of rivalry, we think of like the Army-Navy game or something like that. That's not the context here. The context here is a divisive spirit that undermines unity. That's what he means here by rivalry. Now, I want to say this, and I want to say it again. I've said it plenty of times before, but envy and rivalry destroys churches, relationships, and an effective witness for Christ. Thankfully, as Paul wrote, He did say many preach Christ out of goodwill. There were many that still were on track. The idea here is that they lived out and communicated the gospel with humility and grace. That's hard. It is. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. It's hard for all of us. But like Paul, everything was about Jesus, not themselves. They, like John the Baptist, and I've read this verse, gosh, maybe almost every week, but They live their lives saying he must increase, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Now in verses 16 and 17, you can look at them. I don't know if we have them up there, but maybe, Rachel, you can find them. But in verses 16 and 17, Paul elaborated further, noting that some proclaim Christ out of love, while others do so out of selfish ambition. So Paul's supporters, the people with Paul on his team, in his corner, Paul's supporters knew that his imprisonment was for the sake of the gospel. His detractors, on the other hand, who were Christians, they were envious, full of rivalry and selfish ambition. They made assumptions about Paul and his ministry. They made assumptions. Now, I want to just say here real quick, be careful with assumptions. They can be incredibly dangerous and divisive. They assumed... Here's where they threw in their assumptions. They assumed that because Paul was in prison, his ministry was lacking. We're out of prison. Ha, ha, ha. Look at him. He's in prison. 
we're doing something right, he's doing something wrong. Meanwhile, he's in prison for preaching the gospel and not hiding. See, selfish ambition filled the group that opposed Paul. They were more concerned with their preferences and not the advancement of the gospel. They put down the apostle and promoted themselves. Now, I want, I want to push this a little bit further. We need to notice something critical here. Their issues were not doctrinal or theological. The Apostle Paul makes no mention of them preaching a false gospel. He makes no mention of them preaching or promoting heresy. He does say that they were preaching the gospel, doesn't he? So they're Christians. They preached Jesus but had hard hearts. See, we can attend church. We can sing songs. We can have correct theology. We can know plenty of Bible verses. You can even do your devotions. But still, if we make ourselves or our preferences bigger than Jesus, we can be incredibly harmful to the advancement of the gospel. And this is what we so often miss. See, I love Paul's response in verse 18, though, and I said this when I read it. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in it I rejoice. And then he says, yes, I will rejoice. Like, almost like, if you didn't hear me, I'm going to repeat myself. So his response reveals his Christian maturity. That though the group of Christians he mentioned disparaged him, were envious of him, and created a type of rivalry and deceit in the church, he took the high road. I don't want us to lose sight of this. These people were Christians. See, if you flip over to chapter 3, Paul actually addresses false teachers there. It's two different groups. In chapter 3, verse 2, he actually says, watch out for those dogs. <laughs> those people who do evil. There he's speaking about false teachers. People that were heretical. Here he's speaking about Christians. See, these Christians knew the gospel when they spoke. They were biblically and theologically solid. They knew what they were saying. But their hearts were selfish and self-seeking. See, Christians, we have, like, we got to see this. Christians are not immune to envy, to rivalry, to backbiting and selfishness. You're still waging war uh, of, like, the sin in you. There's this battle. Paul talks about this plenty of times between the flesh and the spirit. And if you don't think there's a battle going inside of you and it's, if the battle is just everyone else, yo, the devil got you. He won. If it's everybody else and not you, yo. See, for this group, their content was correct, but their motivation was wrong. Sure, you could think of a lot of times in your life where you, you approach someone or you were dealing with a situation 
And maybe you were right. You were probably right. But when you went about communicating what you were communicating, your heart was just ugly. That can happen here too. But let's keep going. See, we got to be careful though if we don't want to fall into the trap of these people here because it's a dreadful place to be when we're always doing this and never this. Jesus spoke pretty plainly of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. Oh, dang. Yeah, uh, we don't like reading the Sermon on the Mount because it makes us do this. <laughs> For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Oh, poop. What about 2 Corinthians 5? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now that word all right there means everyone. Christians, non-Christians. You know that Christians are going to be judged too? Do you know that? Believer in Christ? So we might have the content of the gospel down, but how is our heart? How's, how's your heart? I don't care about the person sitting next to you. I don't care about the person who disparaged you. How is your heart? How are you handling how they harmed you? Have you forgiven them? Have you repented? Or is this just... Just... I've learned a few things, just a few in my life. But one is the more I'm focused on Jesus and the more my life is about him and advancing the gospel, the more joy I experience even when I face trials. So looking at the Apostle Paul and what he's going through, I take heart. Thank you, Jesus, I'm not in prison. But I've been beat up too. And I've been disparaged and I've been harmed just like every single one of you. But I find joy in Christ because he's radically changed my life. And my salvation doesn't rest on what other people think of me, but on what Jesus thinks of me. And I'm his son. Totally righteous because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. See, when we fo stay focused on Jesus, we will not lose our joy. And we will advance the gospel for the glory of God. See, as we move to this opportunity here in a second to receive communion, I don't want us to lose sight of the beautiful gift that we've been given. See, communion is an opportunity to pause. It's, a, it's an opportunity to reflect on everything that Jesus did to provide us with salvation and with freedom. He did everything, every single thing. So if we've come in this morning with just one ounce of self-righteousness, we've got to drop it before the cross right now. 
you know, I use kind of the goofy phrase, but it's true. Like, we've brought nothing to the party. This salvation party was all about Jesus. Like, your stinky day-old potato salad, nah, doesn't count. It's all about Jesus, and it will always be about Jesus. I do love potato salad, though. Y'all, I could swim in potato salad. Anyhow, keep going. We're coming to communion. I'm sorry. But listen, Jesus did everything. He did everything for us. Jesus lived. He, he died on the cross for all of our sins, past, present, and future. He rose from the dead to save us, to redeem us. He did it all. The only thing we can do, the only thing we can do is open up our hands, open up our arms and receive his gift of grace. And not just once, but every single day, moment by moment, preaching the gospel to yourself. Jesus lived, Jesus died, he rose again for me. And I'm going to live in that joy and I'm going to advance the gospel because I want people to experience and have the joy that I have. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. So why don't you bow your heads?